Welcome. It's now time to take your multivitamin, soak your oats for tomorrow morning, and grab your whittling stick. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Talk tall to me, talk tall to me, talk tall to me, talk tall to me. I may actually use that as the intro music for this week. Welcome back to another episode of Talk Tall to Me. On this podcast, Nick McGill and myself, Omen Said, take an extraordinary and extraordinarily self-indulgent voyage. Week by week, song by song, Nick and I will talk and talk and talk, tall to you, about every single track that prog rock band Jethro Tull has ever recorded. Chronologically, week by week, we will do the next track in line, and uh, you will eventually learn to love us. <laughs> so this week, yeah, we have the third song off of the second album. This is kind of a big week. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I'm. I'm feeling. I'm feeling the pressure on this one. I'm feeling intimidated by the by the material. Yeah, you could. You could very easily say this is a classic. You you could, and in fact, we will. Omen, what are we listening to this week? This week, we are listening to Beret. Although Beret is legit the opening and closing music, so it's just going to be... <laughs> More of the same. Yeah. <laughs> More of the same. <laughs> well, let's have, re- let's okay. have a review of what that is. Wow. When I'm on a binge, when I'm on a tall binge. I'm so glad you clarified. When I'm on a tall binge, I'm going to be honest, sometimes beret is very easy to kind of uh, zone out on. Yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing, and I, I I have a small theory about that. But when I, when I... When I like really paying attention to it, yeah, man, that is a good song. It's nice. It's just so pleasant. Well, I think that this is one of the the songs that is more famous in terms of the whole Jethro Tull scope. Sure, and and as such, you know, we've all heard it a lot of times. I mean, I I, I think that I've heard this song more than than a lot of the other songs. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's one that you just that you just you associate so strongly with Jethro Tull. It's sort of like one of those big watermarks in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, but I'm, and so now I feel like I feel like I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that is. It's that thing that they do. Yeah, I'm thinking back to the first time that I ever heard it when I was like 17, and it blew my mind. Likewise, yeah, because it's so different than anything else that I had ever heard at that point. And and really, it really is unique. So should we break it down and like, let's just get to down to the brass tacks of, of what were, what we actually just listened to. Sure. Yeah. So Beret is obviously um, Ian Anderson's interpretation of Johann Sebastian Bach's fifth movement from the suite in E minor for lute. 
also named Beret or Beret in E minor. And uh, the Beret was a, a type of dance that originated in in France and was a popular social dance form and used in theatrical ballets during uh, the time of Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah, so it's not it's not named after the hat like the French hat. It's spe- it's spelled differently. It's 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 named. Are you something referring blue. to a beret? Beret. Yeah. 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 To- yes, it is in fact different. Although I have, I do recall um, a few times seeing them live that Ian Anderson would refer to this song as Black Beret. Yeah, well, he's just, I mean... I mean, you know, yeah. he's Ian Anderson. Who but... knows what's coming out of his face half the time. Um, that is an inter- I've actually never thought about that as an association. That's really funny. Flute wind. That's what's coming out of his face. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so the beret in E minor was one of the more popular pieces you know, nowadays of, of J.S. Bach. And it's, you know, it's been, it's played by a lot of guitarists as a lute piece. It Mm. translates really well to the guitar. And, you know, we're, this isn't alone in the universe of rock bands doing references to classical pieces. Yeah. Um, And there are, in fact, of course, other rock bands that have covered this exact song. Many. But I think we can safely say that Jethro Tull was the first. Probably. Probably. I think that's that's pretty safe. I mean, who would have been so ballsy to do it before Tull? Well, I think we, you know, there's some examples of people who've done it since. Right. And yes, you can say there's still homages to, to Bach, but it does have to be acknowledged that, yeah, it's there. there's a nod to Tull, in someone covering beret. Well, even even um, there is a reference to Bakerloo, which is a um, a British blues rock group. They um, they did uh, their take on the same tune, which they titled "Driving Backwards" ah, in July of 1969. Whereas this was recorded in um, April of 69. Oh wow! Ooh, just skating in. Just beat him out, and that's why this is this is talk tall to me and not talk Bakerloo to me, bitch Bakerloo to me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I I I don't even know what to say about this. It's just so it's so iconic. It's I feel like it's something that that I take for granted now. Yeah, I think so, and I I think I think your your explanation of it earlier makes a lot of sense that we were blown away when we had first heard it, but now it, it has become so, so staple essentially. Right. That, that it's, I mean, it's on all the best hits. It's we've heard it. However, many times it's the song that leads into the great big flute solo at any time they're live. Right. I think, I think they redid it for the Christmas album. They, yes, they're not mistaken. Yeah. We've heard it. Six ways to Sunday, so it's easy. It's easy to to not pay attention to it. I um, I'm just thinking back to like when I had the I think it was the best of album. That was probably mm-hmm. the first album that I heard this on. 
when you know i'm like remembering when i was like 16 17 listening to this song in my bedroom and i just felt this probably says more about me than about the music so cool like i just <laughs> listening to this just made me feel so cultured and like like so cool man like yeah um and then i would leave my room and that 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 hastily erected illusion would crumble but but for that one moment it really it really did something for me it was very transcendental for me ah yeah because it's i i didn't hate classical music as a kid okay. but it was it was some this was something completely different and new and it does have a little bit of a lot like um i think we mentioned it about round is is that it has a kind of a trance like um just a steady forward motion to the song yeah that i can imagine and i imagine it's just like this when people like drop acid and listen to pink floyd i think it's neither exactly the same I, neither of which i've ever done i think these are very comparable experiences and we are the exact people who can talk intelligently about that comparison um but it's interesting that you so you didn't it sounds like you didn't really have an, a particular affinity for classical music growing up no, not necessarily. I didn't hate it. Right, but but it wasn't your go-to thing. No, certainly not. Whereas for me, classical music was was sort of like what I grew up listening to and Jethro Tull was was um kind of my first real entry into the world of rock. Mm. Well, your your mom listened to public radio a lot, right? Yes, and John Denver. <laughs> well, there you go. Folk and public radio. Boom. Yeah, exactly. And thus you were born. And thus I was born. So that was also very interesting for me, you know, hearing this this take on a classical piece and making in like just getting so Oh, getting so loose with it. Made me feel like unbuttoning my top button of my shirt. Not that I did, of course, but <laughs> I would never do that. Made me think about it. Do you recall having heard this? having heard the actual beret prior to this song? That's a good question. Like, was there a moment of like, oh my God, I know this song? I think so. Yeah, I think that I had heard it. I, I don't I don't have a distinct memory of having a relationship with that song previous to hearing the Jethro Tull cover. But I do remember listening to this song and having the the aha moment of like, oh, wait a minute, this is a this is a, a piece that I have heard done in a new way. Yeah. If I recall I didn't know that it was a classical song. Oh, interesting. I just knew that it sounded differently and it had that that different feel to it. Wow. I certainly knew it was an homage to that style, but um You didn't know it was a an actual classical right piece. Yeah, no. I if I remember correctly, I I didn't. It took me a while. Huh, interesting. Um so an interesting bit of the recording history here. Mm. They, uh, you know, they they worked on this album for a couple of months, and apparently this was the most the the track that gave them the most trouble, and they were unable to produce a single full take that they were satisfied with. Yeah, and so what you hear when you listen to this recording is actually kind of a Frankenstein version of several different takes that that the producer cobbled together and then Ian Anderson 
did some touch-up work on. Right. Which I I find so interesting because it, it it's, I mean, that being the case, it's an extraordinary monument to uh, to the editing skills of their producer of um of Terry Ellis. Yeah. Cuz it's it does it does come off so smoothly. And there's one thing that I want to just microscope in on for a second here. And that is Glenn Cornick's bass solo here. I really think that the it's really funny like when you listen to the actual um lute piece there's this very uh, a lot of it's a lot of what makes it so good is the interplay the interplay between the treble melody and the bass line which is all played on the same instrument of course um and here that sort of is split up between the flute doing the treble stuff and the the bass but i think that the bass i think Cornick's work on this song really makes it what it is and then that crazy bass solo that that comes in in the middle there is unlike any other bass solo that I've ever heard in music. He's playing chords on the bass. Mm. It sounds like it's a guitar. It sounds like it's a a guitar. (laughs) Sounds like it's a guitar solo. But he's doing it on the bass, and it's it's just, it's so unusual. It's so unique. Right, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Now i got to go back and listen to it again. I wonder how much of a stretch this was for them. I mean, because none of them, it seems none of them are really classically trained. And maybe that's an explanation as to why it took them so long to get it all down. Yeah, I think it must have been a difficult a difficult piece to play. I mean, even even under the best of scenarios because it's not only classical it's not only got a classical bass, but they're also doing it in this kind of jazz style, right? Which they were moving away from at this time as a band. True. True, but it, it to me Beret does not I think Beret would be out, would feel out of place in this was i agree i agree but it's definitely they're trying to do something very unusual which is like take this this classical piece and swing it yeah and it's hard i think it's hard now that i think about it honestly it feels kind of out of place in uh stand up as well it's so it's such a unique piece i think it would feel out of place on any album i think it fits on the christmas album (laughs) And that that wasn't being facetious. I I genuinely do think that. Oh, you're <laughs> you're not you're not banishing no. it. No, but you know I think it could fit on Aqualung. I yeah, think it could I fit on so. Aqualung. There's a darkness to it. It certainly holds its own anyway. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not a it's not a sticking out like a sore thumb. It's more just oh look at this pretty rock on this beach of just slightly less pretty rocks. Yes. Boy, that was oof. Wow. <laughs> just, just, just pros at the metaphors. <laughs> it's it's great, yeah. Um I just I wanna know I wanna know where the idea came from. What you know were they sitting around one night and Ian Anderson was like 
I think we should do a cover of that loot piece. That's not how he sounds. Yeah, right? Why? Because he wasn't classically trained. So it's not like he had other pieces of classical that he was really doing. Working on. Yeah. Or maybe he always just liked the piece. That's entirely possible. Because even with Abrams, I mean, there wasn't... There didn't feel to be a really a classical feel. It was more classic jazz. Unless maybe... Who came in? Mick. No, Mick was the one that, that left. Who came in after Mick? Martin Barr. There's a cat meowing. Oh, hang on. Meowton Barr. That's why I have a sound booth. That's funny. Unless uh, Martin Barr came in with some sort of background. You know, it's all really speculation unless we were to, to, to sit down with with Mr. Anderson and have a good old chat about Beret. Has he returned uh, our emails yet? I, I've i been using his pager number about a couple times a day, so <laughs> I'm just, I'm hoping, and I'm putting, I'm, I'm putting 911 in there, so he should call back thinking it's, it's an that's emergency. That's great. Yeah, that's that's great. We'll see. We should. <laughs> Never mind. No. <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. How do you spell libel? Um. So what were you, you going to say? I was gonna say I was gonna say we should we should serve him a, a summons and be like you have to come testify to like some crime only if we. Write it in crayon. I would we would we be safe? What else can we say about beret? It's a one of their staple live pieces. It is. It is. Um, it's also one of those, and I think it's due to several factors. Um, but it's one of those that if you were to play it for someone and say, guess this artist. I'm not entirely sure they would be guessing Jethro Tull if they'd never heard it. Mm. It's hard to separate because we know it so well and we've been listening to Tull sure. for forever. Yeah. I could see how it wouldn't be construed as a Tull song. I guess so. But on the other hand, you, you've got you've got all that flutter tonguing in there and the flute grunting technique. That's true. That's true. Bach, uh, Bach started that. Um, and then the good, yeah. Ian Anderson picked it up. Daus Flutengrunten. <laughs> That's right. That uh, you just said something very offensive, actually. In German. <laughs> so, so there, there we go. Our German audiences, <laughs> all nine of them. That was nine. Was <laughs> Did you get? Oh, that was like a, like a joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I I think this I think this um I think we've reached. The, um, I think we've reached the, the end of the flute here. Do you want to rethink that one? Uh, you want to workshop that? I think... <laughs> I think it's time to, um, shake the spit out of this mouthpiece. There we go. Does a flute have a mouthpiece? Well, it has a mouthpiece, yeah. But it's all connected, though. Like, a mouthpiece to me feels like it's a separate thing, you know? Well, it is a separate piece. A generally a... A flute breaks down into three sections. That's true. I forgot about that. It's the tail piece, the body, and the headpiece. 
it's how you won over your girlfriend talking about the anatomy of a flute, huh? Wow. <laughs> I, I do want to remind less listeners that uh, I am the resident uh, flute expert on this podcast by virtue of the fact that I uh, played the flute in high school. That's true. Not even all, yep. not even all the way through high school. Didn't you stop near the end? Uh, I stopped for a little while when I broke my hand, but but no, I I continued to play the flute into college. When did you break your hand? Um, right before uh an Allstate audition that I was really afraid of. <laughs> it's one of the most conveniently timed injuries of my life. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Mrs. Miss Walters, I'm so sorry I can't do the audition because my hand is broken. Oh, oh so... man, how did the car run over your hand? I thought I saw a kitten. No kitten wasn't there. <laughs> my hand stayed. It's a bummer. Yeah, and and let me tell you, it was hard to steer the car while I was reaching underneath for the kitten. <laughs> just, just put a cinder block on there. That's what all the smart people do. That's not enough to break your hand. Oh, on the, the gas, gas pedal. pedal. I see. Go. No, I broke it falling off of a railing. I was doing a cool trip trick where I, I I leapt from a hillside onto a railing and landed on the railing with one foot. And I would have landed it fine, but the railing had a had a shoddy connection to to its concrete base, and so it wobbled, and I wibbled. And then I fell and put out my left hand to catch my fall, which is what you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to use your face. Yes. Yes. Or the face of someone else. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I put my weight down on my, my little pinky finger and snap goes the weasel. So it was just the pinky then? Yeah, but that's one of the more important um, flute playing things. Did you try to catch yourself with just the pinky? <laughs> no, no. I just was reaching back for the ground. So you you early parkoured and you biffed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I pre-parkoured. I was I was doing this cool trick where I I jumped off a railing and broke my hand, and I did <laughs> yes. it perfectly. <laughs> I was ten points. They were like, "Wow! If only that was repeatable more than once every six months." <laughs> well, great. So Nick, Holman, if this song, if beret was a cocktail Mm. which cocktail would it be i'm not super versed in in many cocktails okay um wait wait a cop out no i got it okay (laughs) asshole (laughs) What, what do you what do you think i got it it would be any of any classic cocktail that would normally okay. have something that would have like vodka, yeah, but it has gin in instead. Oh, okay. That's it. That's it. It's a take on the classic with just enough differentiation and just enough right flavor, yeah, to make it different. Yeah. Wow. And something that you can go back to. You know, it's not it's not terribly offensive. Right, 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 right. Do you do you disagree? You seem incredulous. No, no, I'm just trying to imagine those the drinks that those that those could be. So it'd be like a, it'd be like um, it'd be like a vodka and vitamin water, but with gin instead of vodka. 
Uh, not necessarily a classic cocktail. Well, martinis. A martini, like a okay, a gin martini. Yeah, yeah sure. Tom Collins. I've never met him. Song for Tom Collins, Jeffrey and Me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yes, I was just thinking that. And I don't, that's it. That's it for my, my, my cocktail knowledge. Great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to leave you here and we will come back and pick you up next week. And um, so here are some snacks to tide you over. <laughs> don't feed the squirrels. Don't. If you have any trouble, don't call us. We'll just we'll be here. We'll come back. I promise. We'll, we'll be here. Just going yeah. down to the corner store to get some smokes. Not like my daddy. <laughs> so, Omen, next week, what are we going to listen to? And what are we going to talk about? Ooh, well, we are going to listen to the fourth song on stand-up, which is Back to the Family. And we are going to talk about the fourth song <laughs> on the album stand-up, which is called Back to the Family. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I, I actually, I, that's one of my favorite songs. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, until then... Stay warm, stay hydrated, and stay positive. In the meantime, everyone, do the thing. Turn the boo-ray to a hooray and give us five stars. Rate, review, subscribe, the whole thing. Come on. I'm Omen Said. And I'm Nick McGill. And we are are feckless moans. And this is Talk Tall Today. Oh, hey there. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network.